This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson. Today, this is the second part of our podcast, looking at emotions and understanding what these things are, these emotions. Emotions can be better understood if viewed from an evolutionary perspective. Our current human emotions are a result of thousands of years of human evolution. They're part of our ever-evolving human brain. As stated before in another podcast, they are a physiological response to some external stimuli that facilitated actions that were beneficial for the survival of the group or the individual. We have six basic emotions hardwired into our human brains. It's anger, fear, surprise, sadness or distress, happiness or joy, and disgust. Again, anger, fear, surprise, sadness, happiness, and disgust. Each of these serve to enable the propagation of our species and the continued spreading of our genes in some fashion from an evolutionary perspective. Now think about how each emotion might have promoted behaviors that would have benefited early humans or groups. Anxiety, which is a type of fear, pushed people to plan ahead or to act. Fear prepared them to run or to fight. Anger pushed them to protect or respond. Disgust deterred them from eating things or doing things. Joy caused them to do more of things. And sadness or distress caused them to do less or fewer of things or to do something else. Even what we might consider to be a negative emotion had their place. For example, jealousy, a form of anger, enabled the stabilization of the family unit that was necessary to survive. It's all about the propagation of the species. However, one of the problems with emotions is that some were hardwired into us to survive in the primitive world, but they may not always serve us well in our modern world. This is the fight-or-flight reaction. Humans are hardwired not to get eaten by saber-toothed tigers. Surprise and fear evoke a physical reaction that prepares the organism to fight or to run. This is the fight-or-flight response. We see this today in animals as well as humans. Now imagine this. You're walking through the woods. You know there are bears around. Suddenly, you see a large, dark shape moving in the brush and hear crashing sounds. Your body automatically responds, going into a state of hyperarousal. Muscles tighten, your eyes widen, your heart rate and blood pressure increases, and your breaths become shorter and faster. Three stress hormones are released into your system. Cortisol, norepinephrine, and adrenaline. In this state of hyperarousal, your pupils are dilated to allow more light into the eyes and improve your vision. Heart rate and breathing increases your ability to provide your body with energy and oxygen. These are needed for a quick response. Your skin becomes paled or flush, indicating that the blood flow to the surface areas of the body 
is reduced in order to increase the flow to the muscles, the brains, the legs, and the arms. Your muscles become tense and prime for action. You might even lose control of your bladder or bowels so that you're not having to digest food as you're fleeing or fighting. Blood is shunted to the organs critical for your survival, that's the heart, lungs, muscles, and brainstem, and away from the organs not necessary for your survival, that's the gastrointestinal tract, reproductive tract, immune systems, and the prefrontal cortex. Again, these responses are evolutionary adaptations to increase the chance of survival in dangerous situations. However, in the modern world, this response is not always helpful. Now, in our modern world, not all negative events are threats to survival, but our body doesn't know this. Physiological responses to negative events or stressful conditions can sometimes cause people to overreact, engage in negative or disruptive thinking, or to misinterpret social situations or clues. Reactions of this type that occur frequently, as well as responses to events that are extreme, can be an indication of a mental health condition. Now, one aspect of mental health is the ability of the mind to self-right, or to achieve homeostasis after a stressful event. Mood dysregulation is an inability or difficulty to achieve homeostasis or to regulate the mind after hyperarousal. For example, in response to a situation, a person with a mood dysregulation disorder might get angrier get angry faster, and stay angry longer when compared to somebody without a mood dysregulation disorder. According to the DSM-5, a disruptive mood dysregulation disorder is characterized by severe reoccurring current temper outbursts manifested either verbally or behaviorally. And these outbursts are out of proportion to the situation in terms of the intensity and the duration. Now, mood dysregulation is also one aspect of an anxiety disorder. According to the DSM-5, a generalized anxiety disorder is marked by one or more of these systems. One, restlessness or feeling keyed up or on edge. Two, being easily fatigued. Three, difficulty concentrating or mind going blank. Four, irritability. Five, muscle tension. Six, sleep disturbance. Difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep or restlessness or unsatisfying sleep. Now think about how these symptoms related to the physiological responses to stress that I've talked about previously. Now, both worry and anger, which is irritability, are physiological responses based on the fight-or-flight mechanism. In schools, students with mental health conditions, such as mood disorders, can be mislabeled. Given the labels ADHD, ADD, EBD, or LD, or sometimes they're simply called troublesome, or lazy, or immature, or a bad kid. 
Now, emotional influences our cognitive function. The physiological response to fear and anxiety is good for running and fighting, but not so much for learning. When dysregulated, you have less access to high-level functioning and both perception and memory become impaired. As well, prolonged exposure to stress, which is chronic stress, makes achieving homeostasis more difficult. And children living in poverty are exposed to more stressful events than students not living in poverty. The chronic stress they experience can make it more difficult for them to turn off the fear switch once the threat is gone. This all makes it more likely that they will come to school less likely to be able and ready to learn than students not living with chronic stress. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. We were looking at emotions from an evolutionary perspective.